Steven Soderbergh was just 26 years old when his very first feature, Sex, Lies and Videotape, won him the Palme d'Or at the 1989 Cannes Film Festival. A dream start to any career. Anyone within the industry would have been more than aware from the opening frames that here was not an emerging filmmaker, but a filmmaker fully formed. Soderbergh was directing from his own script, a script that had had great difficulty not just raising the $1.2 million budget, but getting any actors to read it. Their agents were convinced from the title that it was some sort of porn movie headed straight to video. But despite his budgetary restraints, what Soderbergh's film exhibited was proof that the only thing a director really needs to tell a story is what Sergei Eisenstein called the film's sense. An innate understanding of where to put the camera, when to cut, and how sound plays with the image. That awareness does not depend on a budget, it depends on understanding the language of cinema. Soderbergh and his cinematographer Walt Lloyd begin with a low shot travelling along a highway. Shadows flash across the asphalt as we speed down the open road. Quickly, the surface is plunged into darkness, a heavy diagonal shadow eclipsing the entire screen. Under the cover of that darkness, Soderbergh, who edited the film himself, cuts seamlessly to a low-angle shot, this time looking up at a man driving a car. But our view of him is rhythmed so that we only see him emerging from darkness as he speeds out from the shadow of an overpass. Transitions like that don't happen by accident, they are planned. And this one lets us know that the story we are about to see is going to be told with great confidence and even greater agility. Proof of that great agility comes in what happens next. As the car slows down and eases to a stop, so too does the music composed by Cliff Martinez. As Soderbergh gives us another view of pebbles and crushed stones, we hear garbage. All I've been thinking about all week is garbage. I mean, I just can't stop thinking about it. What kind of thoughts about garbage? I just, I've gotten real concerned over what's going to happen with all the garbage. But instead of cutting to the woman who is speaking, Soderbergh stays with the car as the man maneuvers into a parking space alongside a gas station. He pops the trunk, takes out a bag and walks into the restroom. Who is he? Only now does Soderbergh cut to a close-up of the woman talking. She is about 30 years old, but because the camera is close on her, we don't know for certain where she is or even to whom she is speaking. But Soderbergh's close-up does afford us a view of her anxiety and so it seems that she is deeply concerned about the environment. You know, I mean, we have to run out of places to put this stuff eventually. The last time I, I started feeling this way is when that barge was stranded and, you know, it was going around the island and nobody would claim it. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember. Soderbergh cuts away from the woman and back to the man who is now in the restroom of the gas station, shaving. 
But then, and only then, does Soderbergh elect to show us that the woman is sitting on a couch talking to her therapist. I started imagining like garbage can that produces garbage and it doesn't stop. It just keeps producing garbage and it just keeps overflowing. And you, you know, what would you do if you know to try to stop something like that? All that prompts the question, if she is in therapy, just what is she really talking about? Because when her therapist asks, well, last week we were talking about your obsession with the families of airline fatalities. Now we're talking about your concern over the garbage problem. Yeah, so? Well, if you think about it, I think you'll see that the object of your obsession is invariably something negative which you have no control over. <laughs> Soderbergh cuts back to the man in the bathroom as he pats himself down and changes his clothes. Again, who is he? Is she thinking of this man? Is he a fantasy? Is he the reason why she's in therapy? Being happy isn't all that great. I mean, the last time I was really happy, I got so fat. I must have put on 25 pounds. I thought John was going to have a stroke. Ah, so John is the man in the bathroom. No, John, played by Peter Gallagher, is the woman's husband. And Soderbergh cuts to him in his office as he distractedly spins his wedding ring about his desk. John is talking on the phone, extolling what he regards as the benefits of married life. As soon as you've got a ring on your finger, you start getting the most spectacular attention from the opposite gender. <laughs> Bullshit. Seriously, God, I wish I had Super Bowl seats for every time some Philly would come up and start talking to me without the slightest provocation. <laughs> it's critical. It's just marvelous. So, now we know that the woman in therapy is married to John, who we understand is a philanderer. Is this what is subconsciously worrying her? Does she sense her husband's infidelity, but dare not confront it? Well, I'm really angry at him right now. Oh, why? Well, he invited this college friend of his to come stay at our house, and Wade didn't even ask me. I'm going to say yes, of course, but, you know, it just would have been nice to have been asked. Ah, so Graham, played by James Spader, is the man in the car, and he is John's old roommate from college. But think of all the other possible ways, the less interesting ways, the other, easier ways, Soderbergh could have unpacked all that information. For me, one of the reasons why it works so well is because Soderbergh is maximising film grammar to make sure he is telling his story in as cinematic a way as possible. Think about it. The woman in therapy is talking about one thing, when clearly she is worried about something else. Well, Soderbergh has found through film grammar a cinematic equivalent. He has shown us one thing while we have been hearing something else. Here is Soderbergh on the Criterion Collection Blu-ray commentary discussing his technique with Neil LeBute. It's funny how often you forget when you're making a movie that you can do two different things at the same time. Right. <laughs> and the first time you try and write voiceover for me, I thought, oh... What am I, this is preposterous. Well, it's also, I think, unless you're going to have, unless the two things are have uh, an ironic relationship, then I think, you know, you're not really, you know, exploring it. Because it's, I, uh, you know, he's, say, he's thinking, you know, what was I doing? And he tells her one thing and we see another. Right. You know, I feel like you should try and do that. Soderbergh then cuts back to the woman in therapy. We still don't know her name. But as she answers her therapist's questions, Soderbergh again cuts away to show us John on his way home. Only he isn't going home, because he knocks on the front door. A woman opens the door, and we see that John is having an affair. 
As we see them have sex, the woman's therapy session continues. I just don't think it's such a big deal and um, I wouldn't miss it, you know, kind of thing. But, well, lately I've just been kind of curious about how things have slacked off. And finally, Soderbergh cuts back to John in bed with the woman, whom we soon discover is his sister-in-law, Cynthia, played by Laura San Jacobo. I only get one today. Oh, gee, how exciting. I already skipped one meeting. I gotta get back. Look, John, if you want to leave, leave. My life doesn't revolve around these little get-togethers. I mean, don't flatter yourself. So, while Cynthia is sexually omnivorous, her sister Anne, played by Andy McDowell, is suffering from neurosis. That polarisation finds an echo in John, who is surely the embodiment of the 1980s yuppie, with Graham a prototype for the 1990s slacker. Soderbergh communicates all that sexual tension, marital deception, emotional confusion, avarice, neediness and selfishness, into the first 10 minutes. But it isn't just information that Soderbergh packs into that incredibly fluid opening sequence. While there are more spectacular, eye-catching and ear-splitting curtain raisers, Touch of Evil, Apocalypse Now, Train Spotting, for me, what makes Sex Lies and Videotape their equal is the way Soderbergh marshals the style to suggest the content and tone of what will follow. And much of that tone is consolidated by Martinez's brilliant score. Perhaps not surprisingly, the instruction from Soderbergh was to aim for the ambient works of Brian Eno. In terms of plot and characters, it doesn't take much to see similarities between Soderbergh's own story and Mike Nichols's 1971 steely-eyed sex dramedy, Carnal Knowledge. Beginning in the 1940s, it spans a near quarter century in the physical, emotional, marital and existential crises experienced by Jack Nicholson, Art Garfunkel, Candace Bergen and Anne Margaret. In fact, Soderbergh is such a fan of Nicholson's work that he accompanied Nichols on the older commentaries for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Graduate and Catch-22. But in terms of the elliptical editing that dominates Soderbergh's opening, you can trace that to Alan René's 1959 existential drama, Hiroshima Mon Amour. That uses a disembodied conversation over images that are all but disconnected from what we hear. And the way Soderbergh presented his opening as a bit of a riddle sets the groundwork for the disruption and eventual healing Graham brings into the lives of John, Cynthia, and above all, Anne. I think that, um, I think that sex is overrated. I think that people place far too much importance on it. And I think that stuff about women want it just as bad as men is crap. I mean, I think that women want it, I just don't think that they want it for the same reason that men think they do. It is often said that there are only a select number of stories. In 1919, Wycliffe Aberhill theorised it totaled nearly 40. Almost a century later, Christopher Booker whittled that number down to seven. While an MIT study tabulated there were just six. Yet it has long been claimed that there are really only two. A protagonist goes on a journey, or a stranger comes to town. Either way, both stories are about fish out of water. But stories aren't really about fish. Instead, they address human emotions. And when it comes to emotions, there really is, and only ever has been, one story, told and retold and retold, in near infinite ways, 
down through the ages. Someone always wants something, so it's about desire. And in Sex, Lies and Videotape, Steven Soderbergh found a novel way of exploring that perennial conundrum. Let's make a videotape. There are other very tidy grammatical things that Soderbergh delivers elsewhere. While Anne is vacuuming her bedroom, something gets trapped in the hoover. Checking what it is, she is at first confused and then shocked to recognise it as Cynthia's pearl earring. But instead of just having Anne's reaction play out in close-up, Soderbergh does something interesting. Anne places the earring on the carpet and tries to smash it. Failing to do so, we get a mid-shot of Anne as she tears off her shirt. As she does so, the camera quickly backs away. Then Soderbergh cuts back to the same starting point and we see Anne pulling off her trousers. Again, the camera tracks back quickly. We might say that Anne is shedding a metaphorical skin. But either way, whatever she is doing, she is doing with such rage, it is as if the jump cuts and camera movements are being caused by her exploding energy. On either side of that intense moment, Soderbergh delivers two very effective match cuts. Firstly, as John leaves Cynthia's house, he comes towards us, running his hand through his hair. Soderbergh cuts to a reverse shot of John, still running his hand through his hair, but now approaching the front door to his house. Soderbergh contracted time and space before our eyes, but we barely notice the transition. And secondly, after Anne has discovered Cynthia's earring, she heads out to her car but is still so upset that instead of starting the engine, she just covers her ears in an effort to blot out the anger. Soderbergh cuts from a side profile to an angle looking through the front windscreen. But on that cut, Soderbergh pulls out the ambient sound, so we hear what Anne hears. Nothing. She then gets out of the car and walks straight up to Graham's apartment. Again, time and space contracted before we noticed. Elsewhere, Soderbergh shows Maverick students how to break a rule they are most likely warned away from on their very first day of film school. The 180 degree rule is considered sacrosanct by many tutors, but in all likelihood they are just terrified of having truly gifted students in their midst who have such an innate understanding of film grammar and its vocabulary that they know breaking the rule won't confound the audience. Crossing the line is something that everyone from Stanley Kubrick and Paul Greengrass to Jean-Luc Godard and Wes Anderson have already done. And Soderbergh chooses his moment late in the film when Anne tells John she wants out of their marriage. Why? Why? (laughs) You're asking me why? Well, I'm married to you, you want out of this marriage. I think you could tell me that. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. We see the unhappy couple in a wide shot. Anne seated on the left, John standing on the right. Did you make one of these goddamn videotapes? He leans down, intimidatingly close to face Anne, and Soderbergh cuts to the other side of them. So Anne is on the right and John on the left. Answer me, goddammit. God damn it, answer me, did you? It works, and one of the many reasons why it works 
is because the camera is now on the exact opposite side of the line. But also it marks the irreconcilable shift in the marriage. I doubt Soderbergh meant it like this, so excuse the pun. A line has been crossed. Crossing the line works if you choose the right moment and put the camera on the exact opposite side of the line. Like so many things in sex lies and videotape, and indeed storytelling no matter what the art, music, dance, painting, theatre, literature or film, it's a matter of knowing what needs to be done and where and when you need to do it. Film sense. 